Well, here we are again, where, for yet another day, a lot of us find ourselves either housebound or at least severely restricted in terms of what we can do. A lot of us are putting up the Christmas decorations again, or taking part in Christmassy activities like watching Christmas movies. Starting tomorrow, the Hallmark Channel will be releasing an early Christmas movie marathon. All of this untimely Christmas spirit isn't to make light of a difficult and uncertain situation, but rather to make the best of it considering the circumstances. Yesterday I brought you a classic Christmas story from Frank L. Baum, and today I'm back to do something similar. Now first things first, I hope that you're staying safe and healthy and following all of the common sense guidelines and taking your advice only from trained medical professionals. Second of all, I'd love to hear from you. Not only because I always like to hear from you, but now more than ever I want to hear about what's going on in your life. How are you celebrating Christmas in March, or how are you spending your time otherwise? You can always drop me a line at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or reach out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if there's anything you'd like to share with the rest of the Christmas Past family, why not record a voice memo into your phone and send it to me? I'd be happy to include it on an upcoming episode. You can send a shout-out to a loved one, share some tips for coping through these times, or anything else that you think would make the days more merry and bright for the rest of the Christmas Past family. Now, today's episode marks the beginning of a five-part series. Back in 1819, Washington Irving published a collection of short stories known as The Sketchbook. It's the same collection that included Rip Van Winkle, and in that collection were five short stories related to Christmas. Those stories have also been published in an edition of their own simply titled Old Christmas from the Sketchbook of Washington Irving. Over the next five days, I'll be reading you one of those stories, starting with today's story simply titled Christmas. I'll be back at the end to wrap up and say goodbye, but for now, please enjoy Christmas by Washington Irving. There is nothing in England that exercises a more delightful spell over my imagination than the lingerings of the holiday customs and rural games of former times. They recall the pictures my fancy used to draw in the May morning of life, when, as yet, I only knew the world through books, and believed it to be all that poets had painted it. And they bring with them the flavor of those honest days of yore, in which, perhaps with equal fallacy, I am apt to think the world was more homebred, social, and joyous than at present. I regret to say that they are daily growing more and more faint, being gradually worn away by time, but still more obliterated by modern fashion. They resemble those picturesque morsels of Gothic architecture which we see crumbling in various parts of the country, partly dilapidated by waste of ages and partly lost in the additions and alterations of latter days. Poetry, however, clings with cherished fondness around the rural game and holiday revel from which it has derived so many of its themes. As the ivy winds its rich foliage about the Gothic arch and mouldering tower, gratefully repaying their support by clasping together their tottering remains and, as it were, embalming them in verdure. Of all the old festivals, however, that of Christmas awakens the strongest and most heartfelt associations. There is a tone of solemn and sacred feeling that blends with our conviviality and lifts the spirits to a state of hallowed and elevated enjoyment. The services of the church about this season are extremely tender and inspiring. 
They dwell on the beautiful story of the origin of our faith and the pastoral scenes that accompanied its announcement. They gradually increase in fervor and pathos during the season of Advent until they break forth in full jubilee on the morning that brought peace and goodwill to men. I do not know a grander effect of music on the moral feelings than to hear the full choir and the pealing organ performing a Christmas anthem in a cathedral, filling every part of the vast pile with triumphant harmony. It is a beautiful arrangement also, derived from days of yore, that this festival, which commemorates the announcement of the religion of peace and love, has been made the season of gathering together of family connections and drawing closer again those bands of kindred hearts which the cares and pleasures and sorrows of the world are continually operating to cast loose, of calling back the children of a family who have launched forth in life and wandered widely asunder, once more to assemble about the paternal hearth, that rallying place of the affections, there to grow young and loving again, among the endearing mementos of childhood. There is something in the very season of the year that gives a charm to the festivity of Christmas. At other times we derive a great portion of our pleasures from the mere beauties of nature, our feelings sally forth and dissipate themselves over the sunny landscape, and we live abroad and elsewhere. The song of the bird, the murmur of the stream, the breathing fragrance of spring, the soft voluptuousness of summer, the golden pomp of autumn, earth with its mantle of refreshing green, and heaven with its deep delicious blue and its cloudy magnificence, all fill us with mute but exquisite delight and we revel in the luxury of mere sensation. But in the depth of winter, when nature lies despoiled of every charm, and wrapped in her shroud of sheeted snow, we turn for our gratifications to moral sources. The dreariness and desolation of the landscape, the short gloomy days and darksome nights, while they circumscribe our wanderings, shut in our feelings, also from rambling abroad, and make us more keenly disposed for the pleasures of the social circle. Our thoughts are more concentrated, our friendly sympathies more aroused, we feel more sensibly the charm of each other's society, and are brought more closely together by dependence on each other for enjoyment. Heart calleth unto heart, and we draw our pleasures from the deep wells of living kindness, which lie in the quiet recesses of our bosoms, and which, when resorted to, furnish forth the pure element of domestic felicity. The pitchy gloom without makes the heart dilate on entering the room filled with the glow and warmth of the evening fire. The ruddy blaze diffuses an artificial summer and sunshine throughout the room and lights up each countenance into a kindlier welcome. Where does the honest face of hospitality expand into a broader and more cordial smile? Where is the shy glance of love more sweetly eloquent than by the winter fireside? And as the hollow blast of wintry wind rushes through the hall, claps the distant door, whistles around the casement, and rumbles down the chimney, what can be more grateful than that feeling of sober and sheltered security with which we look round upon the comfortable chamber and the scene of domestic hilarity? 
The English, from the great prevalence of rural habits throughout every class of society, have always been fond of these festivals and holidays which agreeably interrupt the stillness of country life, and they were, in former days, particularly observant of the religious and social rites of Christmas. It is inspiring to read even the dry details which some antiquarians had given of the quaint humors, the burlesque pageants, the complete abandonment to mirth and good fellowship with which this festival was celebrated. It seemed to throw open every door and unlock every heart. It brought the peasant and peer together and blended all ranks in one warm, generous flow of joy and kindness. The old halls of castles and manor houses resounded with the harp and the Christmas carol, and their ample boards groaned under the weight of hospitality. Even the poorest cottage welcomed the festive season with green decorations of bay and holly. The cheerful fire glanced its rays through the lattice, inviting the passenger to raise the latch and join the gossip knot huddled around the hearth, beguiling the long evening with legendary jokes and oft-told Christmas tales. One of the least pleasing effects of modern refinement is the havoc it has made among the hearty old Christmas customs. It has completely taken off the sharp touchings and spirited reliefs of these embellishments of life, and has worn down society into a more smooth and polished but certainly a less characteristic surface. Many of the games and ceremonials of Christmas have entirely disappeared, and, like the sheriff's sack of old Falstaff, are become matters of speculation and dispute among commentators. They flourished in times full of spirit and lustihood, when men enjoyed life roughly but heartily and vigorously, times wild and picturesque, which have furnished poetry with its richest materials, and the drama with its most attractive variety of characters and manners. The world has become more worldly. There is more of dissipation and less of enjoyment. Pleasure has expanded into a broader but a shallower stream, and has forsaken many of those deep and quiet channels where it flowed sweetly through the calm bosom of domestic life. Society has acquired a more enlightened and elegant tone, but it has lost many of its strong local peculiarities its homebred feelings, its honest fireside delights. The traditionary customs of golden-hearted antiquity, its feudal hospitalities and lordly wassailings, have passed away with the baronial castles and stately manor houses in which they were celebrated. They comported with the shadowy hall, the great oaken gallery, and the tapestried parlor, but are unfitted to the light showy saloons and gay drawing rooms of the modern villa. Shorn, however, as it is of its ancient and festive honors, Christmas is still a period of delightful excitement in England. It is gratifying to see that home feeling completely aroused which seems to hold so powerful a place in every English bosom. The preparations making on every side of the social board that is again to unite friends and kindred. The presence of good cheer passing and repassing, those tokens of regard and quickeners of kind feelings and evergreens distributed about houses and churches, emblems of peace and gladness, all these have the most pleasing effect in producing fond associations and kindling benevolent sympathies. Even the sound of the waits, rude as they may be in their minstrelry, breaks upon the mid-watches of a winter night with the effect of perfect harmony. 
as I have been awakened by them in that still and solemn hour when deep sleep falleth upon man, I have listened with a hushed delight, and connecting them with the sacred and joyous occasion have almost fancied them in another celestial choir, announcing peace and goodwill to mankind. How delightfully the imagination, when wrought upon by these moral influences, turns everything to melody and beauty! The very crowing of the cock, which is sometimes heard in the profound response of the country, telling the night watches to its feathery dames, was thought by the common people to announce the approach of this sacred festival. Some say that ever against that season comes wherein our Savior's birth is celebrated, this birth of dawning singeth all night long, and then they say no spirit dares stir abroad. The nights are wholesome, then no planet strike, no fairy takes, no witch hath power to charm, so hallowed and so gracious is the time. Amidst the general call to happiness, the bustle of the spirits and the stir of the affections which prevail at this period, what bosom can remain insensible? It is indeed the season of regenerated feeling, the season for kindling, not merely the fire of hospitality in the hall, but the genial flame of charity in the heart. The scene of early love again rises green to memory beyond the sterile waste of years, and the idea of home, fraught with the fragrance of home-dwelling joys, reanimates the drooping spirit, as the Arabian breeze will sometimes waft the freshness of the distant fields to the weary pilgrim of the desert. Stranger and sojourner as I am in the land, though for me no social hearth may blaze, no hospitable roof throw open its doors, nor the warm grasp of friendship welcome me at the threshold, yet I feel the influence of the season beaming into my soul from the happy looks of those around me. Surely happiness is reflective, like the light of heaven, and every countenance, bright with smiles and glowing with innocent enjoyment, is a mirror transmitting to others the rays of a supreme and ever-shining benevolence. He who can turn churlishly away from contemplating the felicity of his fellow beings, and sit down darkling and repining in his loneliness when all around is joyful, may have his moments of strong excitement and selfish gratification, but he wants the genial and social sympathies which constitute the charm of a Merry Christmas. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, and I'm sure that you found a lot of his points ring true for your feelings about Christmas, but I also bet it got you thinking about how some of it is applicable to the situation we find ourselves in right now. Given our limited options, a lot of us are spending more time with family, calling loved ones, sitting around talking, and generally learning to enjoy one another's company in a way that we tend not to do these days. I've been hearing from so many of you who have been filling your time with things like crafting, baking, taking up new hobbies, reading, and generally enjoying the relatively rare opportunity to slow down for a little while and focus on the things that are most important. Now, like I said, I'll be back again tomorrow with the next piece from that collection, which is titled The Stagecoach. I hope to see you then, and until we meet again, let me remind you as always that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. You can drop me a line anytime at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or reach out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you haven't joined the private Facebook group, now's as good a time as any. And if you're feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover this show? You can tell a friend about it or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
Each of those are quick and painless ways to show your support, and they really do make a big difference. And if you leave that review on Apple Podcasts, I'll even send you an official Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card as my way of saying thanks. Reach out to me for details on that. I'll see you again tomorrow, and until then, stay safe and healthy, sleep tight, and may your days be merry and bright.